Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge, huge structures collapsing. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite. Don, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear us? Hello. Let me, let me cut off and go back in. Jeff, can you hear me all right? And uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast and your favorite World War II-based podcast. You know, it's just one of those things where everything was working fine until we get live, and then all of a sudden people can't hear us anymore. But what's going on, Jeff? Uh, man, you you know you caught me off guard with uh, with President Bush there, my old commander in chief. Man, that was that was a nice touch. You know, I wanted to do the full the full speech, but it is four minutes and four and a half minutes long. So I just figured I'd open it up, get to the to the point, and to get to the podcast. And we are going to stray a little bit on this episode. We like to say the World War II based podcast because, well, we are a history based podcast and. All of three of us had lived through this history, and yesterday was the anniversary and also my nephew's birthday, but we'll get to that shortly. Before we get into where we were on 9-11 and all that, let's play a little catch-up because it's been a few weeks since we've all been together. And uh, before we go down the somber road of Remember 9-11, which sometimes I feel like we don't do enough of, not just us as a podcast, but us as a society as far as historical events go, but that's neither here nor there. But just get caught up, Jeff. How you been? Uh, yeah, great. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're back at school and, uh, we're <laughs> staying busy, busier than ever, uh, keeping up with a, with a new curriculum that I'm teaching this year and, um, you know, loving every minute uh, of these new high school students and, um, you know, just doing our thing. You're still a relatively young cat. Is it weird sometimes to be in high school, especially when you have every, every high school has that one like 17-year-old dude walking around that looks like he's 23? <laughs> <laughs> you ever feel just like, wow, I haven't been gone that long? <laughs> Opposed to like starting with middle school or, you know, elementary school teacher. Is it a little weird just going right into high school? Uh, yes and no. I think mostly because a lot of the student body that doesn't know me yet thinks I'm a student. <laughs> <laughs> 21 um, jump street. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, it has been, uh, 21 years since I was in high school. So it's, uh, I'm, I think I'm far enough, um, uh, separated from, you know, my students, as far as my experiences and how much I've lived in the past 39 years. Um, but it's interesting to kind of watch some of the newer teachers that, um, you know, you, you kind of put yourself in with them and then you realize like i have fellow teachers that i am old enough to almost be their parents <laughs> so it's like right when you thought you're the youngest guy in the room there's somebody that's like oh yeah i'm 23 just got my degree like oh wow okay <laughs> you know oh no it may serve some of us well to actually go back to that environment shortly to remind ourselves how old it is. Cause sometimes it doesn't seem like it was out long. Oh, it wasn't that long ago since I was in high school, dude, it was like 1996. <laughs> it was quite a while. And then Henry, wow. Henry sake a lot longer than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think some of the best advice I ever got in the army was not to complain about something that you can change. And I know there's a lot of historians and history geeks and people like us, uh, that, Oh yeah, the youth today. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and change it or do what I can to change it and expose them to some of the real history, not page 263 of their textbook kind of history. So that's what I'm doing. Well, you kind of bring a good point and we are, we're all kind of guilty of that. And some of us try to, to deter that, which is, you know, a lot of people want to complain about the generation of today, but they do it in a manner. They complain about a lot of things and that is not providing a solution or offering up to be part of the solution. And so, 
kudos for you on doing that and uh, being part of the solution. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, you got to be able to understand the younger generation to, to know how to reach them. They're not going to sit down and watch battle the bulge with you, you know, more than likely. Um, but there's other ways to expose them to history. And it's just like anything else. I read something the other day where, you know, even within the Greek phalanx, they were looking out at the younger soldiers in the ranks thinking, Oh, this is the future of our army. Oh my gosh, what's it come to? <laughs> you know? And so on and so on. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Henry's dad probably saw the new generation of, of Marines in Vietnam thinking those guys were just like, who, what is, what, what is the Marine Corps come to? You know. Meanwhile, the old and, salts um, from world war one thought the same thing when Henry's dad was coming down the line, like what's the world come to? It's just the natural order of things and um, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it. Um, but I just feel that, you know, yeah, if uh, Henry's dad passed the torch and, and, and it's, it's my generation's job to pass it down again. So I'm going to try to train the new guys as best I can, you know, to prepare them for what may lay ahead in the future. Henry, how have you been, sir? Doing good. Just, just busy trying to get my mom's situation sorted out. So, um, you know, that's taking up a lot of time. I'm, it, it's good to be back in the seat, man. I've, I've missed, so it seems like it's been longer than, than two weeks and, you know, for you and me and then three for when Jeff was last with us, but it's, it's good to keep the groove going. Speaking of keep the groove going, um, I added a new feature to WTSP world war com. Um, it's kind of a long title, but we can always shorten the button. But I just want to—it's right in the middle of our homepage. It's called World War II Vet Information Resources, and um, I go back to these different resources every once in a while in a futile hope that maybe some sort of information would pop up on my grandfather that I haven't previously been able to locate. But it's just got a bunch of links on here. There's nothing fancy. It's just a page with a bunch of links you guys can use to research relatives, what have you. Um, Got the National Archives access to the archival database link. I got the uh, National Persons Records Center um, link. I got the Arlington National Cemetery link. I got World War II POW and MIA list links. So there's about six or seven links on there if you guys are trying to figure out, especially if you're not in this hobby, you may not know where to go if you're not a historian, but you you recently found us. Just go to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Right on the toolbar at the top says World War II Vet Information Resources. And hopefully you guys can – I even have the uh, – the World War II Army dog tag numbers. Like if you're wanting to reproduce dog tags, that's one of the things I did for my living history um, is my Army tags are exact replica of my grandfather's. And uh, that's just areas on there. So if you guys look for some information on maybe how to try to find your grandfather's service records, I even have German-American uh, intern internment camp um, catalogs in here. So maybe you're from German descent and perhaps you had a relative who was a German POW who was brought over here to work on one of the farms. You might be able to find um, some of their information. So that's just some more of the stuff we've added to WTSPWorldWar2.com. And when he, while you guys are over there, please uh, feel free to click on the Patreon link and subscribe to that, and that'll help us out each month with uh, covering the overhead here. But um, I guess let's get down to a little bit. Um, Jeff, this is kind of, I think, we kind of came up with the idea of let's kind of reminisce on where we were on 9-11, which was yesterday. We're a little day behind on our calendar, but it's just the way the, the show calendar falls. So do you want to open it up? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to stray too far from our, our normal topic of the Second World War here because, I, I, you know, there's you can't really talk about September 11th without reflecting on December 7th. Um, they're just so uh, similar in so many ways. Um, and not just the day uh, that happened, but the day after. And, and, and I guess what I mean by that is I saw something from a buddy of mine that, uh, I think he blasted on social media that said, I wish we could live every day, like September 12th, 2001. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've often said on this podcast that, you know, while uh, the country's birthday is in July, uh, our identity was forged from what came after, you know, the uh, destruction at Pearl Harbor. Um, and, and looking back, uh, good thing, uh, the way everything worked out, or this country may not have enjoyed the superpower stardom that it did because of what happened in the Second World War. Um, so, yeah, September 11th, for me, um, 
I guess I'll share two quick stories because the first one I'd like to share uh, my wife's experience who at the time, you know, she was uh, my, you know, she was my high school sweetheart. So she was a junior in high school. And um, that was when we still had little TV monitors in the homeroom classroom, the little student news thing, you know, and then naturally it, you know, shifted to the, to the national news when, when that first plane hit. And uh, she told me that, when they were first starting to talk about it after that first aircraft hit the building, a lot of the kids in her, in her class were, were laughing at it. it you know, immature high school kids are going to be amateur high school kids. Sure. You know, they didn't, they, they didn't know um, exactly what was going on. And then she said, you know, now live, the second aircraft comes in and, you know, nobody was laughing after that. No. And I think that's really a good lesson right there when we read something, you know, when we, like for us, when we're reading something about history, um, such and such guy, you know, died, killed in action, this and that, it really doesn't affect you unless you saw it happen. Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson there, especially when we are talking about educating our youth. Oh, a plane hit the building in New York city. Huh? And then they see a second one. Oh, now it's real. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, like I said, I think that's an important lesson to keep in mind uh, when we're trying to decipher history. When we read it, when we see it portrayed, reenacted, it, it doesn't really have that same um, connection as when it, you actually saw the news firsthand. And I think that's something we just need to really keep in mind, especially when we read memoirs, Yeah, um, you know, from the Second World War. And then my my personal experience is probably very somewhat unique for the American public because I had no idea what September 11th was until about the first or second week of November. Uh, you know, I, I joined the army in, in June of 2001. I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, in, in a 16 week basic training or what they call one station unit training at the time to, for, to be a, you know, a scout. And I guess I was in week 10 somewhere in there and we were out in the field uh, you know, it was a, it was a Tuesday. And, um, that night we were lined up and our platoon was lined up in the barracks and drill sergeant said, uh, does anybody have any family in New York or New Jersey? And, you know, a lot of my family is still in New Jersey when I moved to Texas with my parents, but a lot of my family is in New Jersey. And I raised my hand. <laughs> uh, I do. And a couple of us raised our hand and they said, you've got two minutes to make a phone call. We've been bombed. Do what I had no idea what that meant. Um, so I called home, called my dad. You know, I had two minutes on this phone card and phone booth. You know, hey, dad, what happened in New York today? And you know, he did, he said, I don't know. You know, some planes hit the buildings there, one hit the Pentagon. They don't know who did it, they, they think it's on purpose. You know, nobody really knows. So I, uh, okay. Uh, and then that transpired into more and more formations, squadron formations, troop formations, saying that, hey, you guys are, are 19 Delta Recon Scouts. You know, you're a combat arms MOS. You can be pulled at any time to go over. And we just didn't know what to digest. I had no clue. And now we knew that the training got, like, real serious real quick. Yeah, I was going to ask um, you if you had a sense of things getting fast-tracked. Yeah, it, it kind of, I, I just I remember that night in the barracks, we were all just kind of looking out the window like, oh my gosh, what what happened to our country? What is going on? And and I guess the not knowing really kind of got to us because mm -hmm. we couldn't just turn on the news. We didn't have phones. You know, we, we didn't know anything besides what the Army told me. And I didn't graduate till the end of October and come home the beginning of November. So that's when I was blown away that people watched this happen. People had their morning news on watching people falling out of buildings. I, I still, to this day, could not imagine that. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that changed everything. Um, and I foolishly was happy that I knew that in my tenure in the military, I was going to be a part of history. Um, and I guess we were, <laughs> you know, we, we did our job over there and um, yeah, I don't know if it's, it's history. I don't know if it's good history, but it's history. Um, 
do you still do you still think I was a foolish thought, or do you think maybe you're kind of hoping that your service would have some meaning? Oh, I've gotten a lot more meaning out of the service than any any order would have ever given me. Um, yeah. But it's foolish in the way that you know I was just young and dumb, like oh yeah, I'm gonna get to the, let me add them right. You know? Well, that's what they're looking for. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and just such a such a ridiculous thought that oh I'm happy I'm gonna get to go to war. Um, that's just dumb. Yeah, uh, that, that's just dumb. That's just immature. You know, I was 18 years old, so um, that that let me add them mentality uh, wore off in the first couple months that I was over there. When, uh, like I said, when you start seeing this stuff happening firsthand, uh, it, uh, it it changes the core of your identity in a way that will never uh, go back to who you were before you before you went over. No, I can only imagine. Is that your final thought on on your experience? Yeah, let's let Henry talk for a minute. Sure. Henry, you're up. Well, I mean, I really don't have any kind of, you know, deeply personal, meaningful story to tie to that. No, but um, this is our kind of our Pearl Harbor. Everybody knows where they were when they heard what happened in, in New York. And so for the... Yeah, it, I mean, I definitely remember that. It was, I'd only been married about six months, I guess. Um and I, I had actually, my dad had died not too long before. Um, then not long after that, I had lost my job. So here I was with a new wife, new house, you know, newly unemployed, or I'd been unemployed a couple months. So I was between jobs. Um, so it was already kind of a time of uh, personal upheaval, but so being between jobs, I was actually, I hadn't gotten up yet that morning. And uh, my phone rang and Andrea said, you need to turn on the news right now. There, there's been a some kind of major attack in New York. And so, you know, I didn't question it. I turned on the TV and then saw the iconic image of the, the you know, the two airplanes uh, flying into the, the tower. And I mean, it was, it was, you know, that, that of course in the rest of the day was just, I think I spoke to my mother, um, you know, and then I actually had a job interview that afternoon, but it was just that feeling that you have, you know, that nothing's ever going to be the way it was. Yeah. I do remember grappling with that. The crazy thing about those of us who watched it in real time, it didn't, as Jeff kind of alluded to, when the first plane hit, no one thought it was an attack. I was um, at the time working for Horton Emergency Vehicles. I was building ambulances. And I had actually been at work since 6 in the morning. And so time, you know, 8.15, 8.30 roll around, it was pretty well through my morning. And pretty much we all listened to talk radio back then. We all had our radios in the back to squads. as We're building cabinets, putting electronics in, what have you. So I was listening to Howard Stern. And I can't remember what sort of debauchery he had going on, but um, Gary or John came in and said, a plane just hit the world trade center and howard's like a plane like yeah i, I don't know they kind of no one really knew yet and so it's like uh, maybe it was a cessna a flight uh you know one of these sightseeing planes we really didn't know and it wasn't until so they started talking they, so they kind of went back to their subject at hand and the more news broke in and more news and then that's when the, the second one hit and then it was on and i remember going out to the lobby to go to the restroom and we, when we'd come in and out, we'd have to have our bags checked to make sure we weren't stealing anything. And so we had the security station. And this was, you know, 19, you know, well, 2001, all runs at the 90s for me. But technology, a lot of us still 80s and 90s. And so our security guards still had like a 13 inch black and white TV. It wasn't like, you know, flat screen or even a 25 inch. It was an old school, like everybody had when I was in middle school, a little black and white TV. And so I watched the number two tower fall on this little black and white TV. And um, the whole situation was just, it, it was really hard to take in. And I remember, like, Howard stayed on the air until, like, 2 o'clock that day just doing news updates. And he had Crazy Cabbie and a few other people downtown New York calling in from landlines or whatever spotty cell phone service they had. And they were just trying to report it in real time. And it was just insane. And I remember when I got home, my 
ex-wife, when she was my wife at the time, she was like printing up all kinds of articles on Yahoo and just all this stuff, just burning through ink, trying to figure out as much information as she could. But the crazy thing was, since we worked at an ambulance plant, we had prior, we lost a New York contract to a competitor like three years in advance. And But like, I don't know, five, six of the squads that were destroyed that day were ones we had built on a previous contract. And like the next couple of days, we're getting phone calls looking for any sort of replacement parts, anything that we can send up there. I remember we sent some of the technicians up there. And it wasn't, it was like maybe a week afterwards, we got that contract back. And so for like the next three months, we did nothing but build New York trucks, you know, all the while keeping up on the news. And, and as you guys kind of led the story off earlier today, uh, nine twelve. that's when it, Jeff was saying, you know, we don't want to go back to nine eleven, but we'd love to go back to nine twelve. And I, it's so hard to try to explain to, to young cats now, especially with how divided everything seems. I'm not saying everything is divided, it's just the way the media and, and social media presents everything. Everybody's supposedly at each other's throats. And so to try to explain to people who are too young to acknowledge or weren't even around what it was like, um, I would love to go back. I'm sure they're out there. I would love to go back and see like the, the city crime statistics on the, <laughs> like the 12th, 13th, and 14th. I'm sure arrests were down dramatically and petty crime was probably down, but and not even just in New York because all major all major metropolitan areas shut down. Airports across the nation, across the world shut down. Everything was, you know, not as bad. You know, we weren't shut down like COVID, but when it came to travel restrictions, everything was shut down. And my dad traveled around the world back then working for a corporation. And so about 10, 11 a.m., I get an announcement on the intercom. Don Abernathy, you got a phone call, line one. I'm like, was my, because my dad lived in Texas at the time. I'm like, was he flying somewhere? Go to answer the phone. It was my, my mom. My nephew was born like I think an hour after the towers came down. So my nephew was actually born on 9 11 afterwards. And uh, so. 9-11 always has a weird anniversary date for us because obviously somber remember what happened, but then it's, you almost have to move it a day or two for your nephew so that he can celebrate his birthday and not feel guilty about it because not to mention how bad kids are. Could you imagine being in elementary school, middle school, when kids are looking for a reason to give you a hard time, they find out you're born on the morning of 9-11? He got all kinds of crap telling him he was evil, he was the devil reincarnate. And so it was really every year it was kind of hard to juggle the two. Like, well, we need to celebrate his birth, but it's just such a somber time. And I'm sure there's people like that who were born shortly after, you know, on Pearl Harbor and things like that. But it went, as far as our family goes, that's just one of those little weird things. It's always uh, hard to be happy and celebrate on nine 11, but you know, you got to juggle it. It's weird. Well, you know, it is Patriot day too. Yeah. That, if you put it that way to be born on Patriot day, that's got a little bit, of a nicer connotation sure it, i guess <laughs> but uh yeah i remember 9 12 i remember 9 14 but you know what i also remember which saddens the living heck out of me and i don't know how this was for everybody but it was this is how it was in columbus ohio remember right after 9 11 like the two weeks after everybody's buying the little flags to put on the windows of their cars the same ones you see like people's favorite football logos on everybody had them on the rear windows of the car drive around Raw one, raw one, two, three weeks later, you just start seeing them all over the road. They forget and roll down the windows. They can't bother to stop. And so that was kind of the, the harder part seeing a couple weeks later when that, that uniform, that uniform patriotism kind of started slowly started to dwindle away. It was kind of a, a visual reminder of that, but yeah, it's just, it would be nice, especially now with the way things are going. Just if we can at least get back to the roll on one team, that'd be nice to do for a little bit. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's exactly the type of briefing I gave my students this morning. And, you know, I told them, I, I'm, I hope that you never live through a September 11th. But I also hope that you get to see a September 12th because mm -hmm. religion politics race creed color gender everything went out the window and we as americans finally kind of woke up and realized that we all bleed bright red blood and we were unified again and it was beautiful um so much like what came out of the ashes of pearl harbor um that's a lot what you know our our character at the time 
couldn't be stronger. And right, it didn't last very long. We we became the fickle culture that yeah, we've always been. I you know I uh, I do remember when I was over, or maybe it was before we deployed, whatever it was. But I I remember the big deal was how President Bush reacted to the news mm-hmm. or how he didn't react well, that's because the media at the time but yeah he he for those of you who don't know maybe you your young cat he was literally reading children's book to like a first grade class and they came and whispered in his ear now what do you want your president to do in a classroom full of seven-year-olds maintain his composure finish his book and get up and walk out or make a scene and and run out the door um that's not something you can train for either, despite all your training. I mean, to be in that situation and have that levity of information relayed to you in a uh, room full refresh, of children. Refresh my memory. What was his reaction? Because I, I don't watch the news. I stay off of it. I just, I don't. Looking so at it all these years it. later, it seems spot on. I mean, his eyes just, he almost instantaneous thousand mile stare because he was reading in front of these kids on, on camera and he kind of just, froze for a minute and then kind of wrapped up the book and made his way out of the room. But because we, the media was as divisive then as it is now, they just had yeah, less, they just had less output as far as no social media. And so you had the, the, the certain news channels who were against Bush. Cause you know, he did take a lot of beating oh, yeah. for a lot of years. They just found any little thing like they just imagine now if it, you know, it doesn't matter the news, what he did, yeah. they would have chopped it up. Yeah. Right. But right. looking back I, at I, it I, now, it's like it seems a very heartfelt, shockful moment. The guy literally, like his record skipped. He just, he was told this information like, do I just get up and bolt and, and on national TV or do I finish my book and go out here and talk to my advisors and come up with a plan right. of attack to present a united front? Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. It didn't matter what, like, you know, Henry, you're right. It, it wouldn't matter if he just started bawling. That he'd have been a weak president yep. because he kept his composure. He was an inhumane president, or whatever you know, whatever. It didn't matter. It was going to be wrong. But I will tell you guys this: in December of two thousand three, uh, I got to shake that man's hand, and the thing that impressed me the most about him was it. We there was a it was a chow hall at Fort at Fort Hood where I think it was like a new chow hall or whatever. But the president, the first lady, came and had lunch and they picked one soldier from every unit there at Fort Hood. And so there was, I don't know, two or 300 of us that represented each unit at Fort wow. Hood. And we got to, yeah, we got to eat lunch. Uh, and they kind of, they had him at one side of the chow hall. And then the first lady, I was one table away from the first lady. Um, and then after we ate, uh, they kind of went around the room and talked to every soldier and man, when he shook my hand and looked me in the eye and said, thank you for what you are about to do for this nation, because this was about four months before we deployed. Sure. And he probably said that 300 times that day, but he meant it. Mm-hmm. You could see it. it. It wasn't just words. He was so sincere. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I did... Uh, quite a bit of writing when I was overseas and some of the stuff I would share with my buddies and they sent some of the stuff home. Uh, one thing was, uh, an article I wrote, you know, the, an op-ed that was published in our newspaper here. And then my driver was from Floodwood, Minnesota. It was published. He sent it home. Uh, one of our snipers sent it home to somewhere in Alabama. It was in their newspaper. Well, my dad, uh, sent that to, uh, not the White House, but he sent it to uh, Bush's, what was it, the Prairie Chapel Ranch, I think was the name of it, when he had that big ranch up here. Uh, he, I don't know, he was maybe an hour and a half, two hours from yeah. where I live. He'd always so go he there and, to, and like weed eat and work with his hands, just get I, grounded and get back to his, you know, his roots. Right. Clearing brush, running chainsaws. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so my dad sent it to the Prairie Chapel Ranch. And ever since then, still to this day, the first Christmas card my parents get are from George and Laura Bush. That's cool. And I mean, they've been invited to birthday parties there. Uh, you know, it was a very nice reply, nice letter, nice glossy eight by 10, you know, signed by the president, just such a nice, you know, like you just knew that this guy was for you. 
people can bash the decisions all they want. Um, I believe in what we did. Whether it did anything here on the home front, you know, would we still have smartphones if I didn't go to Iraq for a year? Yes. But I'd like to think that I had an impact on the youth over there. Yeah. And that's what the one op-ed that I wrote was really, that's what it was all about. It was titled why I fight. And it had to do with, you know, these people knowing how far away we were from home, how long we were there, the hard job that we were doing and we were doing it for them. And we were trying to give their kids, because if, you know, if you saw the way those kids were having to live and you think about back home, um, it's just no fair. And just because they're born there doesn't mean that they don't deserve a fair chance. Everybody deserves a shot at democracy and freedom and all those things that we do every day that we complain about. Those kids would love for a handful of what we live in our lives every day. Did those first aid packages that most schools around the nation packed up, did they ever make it to you guys? And it's a weird question, but I just remember, you know, you'd always see these donate, you know, dry goods or, you know, socks or whatever, use cell phones. Did all that, any of that stuff ever make it over there to you guys and get distributed in any sort of way, shape, or fashion? <laughs> I know it's a weird question. Dude, but- I got so much mail. It's not a weird question at all. I, I got so much mail. It was ridiculous. Um, I, I, it got to the point where I felt bad because mail call was always like Sergeant Capseta, Sergeant <laughs> Sergeant Cop said, uh, you know, it was back great, up the truck, I mean, boys. <laughs> yeah, I, I had cookies and I had stuff coming. Uh, actually, one of the schools here in our school district, the um, the elementary school, it's kindergarten, first and second. Every student there wrote me a letter, um, everyone and, and sent it over drawings, pictures. Uh, it, it was it was unbelievable. Um, there was some other mail that was not so favorable. Um, and and I'm just going to go ahead and name drop, uh, Snapple (laughs) and shocker Starbucks sent out a lot of like chain mail that, that got to a lot of units, any, any unit with an APO address that was like, what are you doing over there? Really? Um, oh, oh, it was terrible. Now I can, I can, I can understand Starbucks, but Snapple, that's not the, that's not the face they like to paint on. I know it was, it was, but yeah, you know, like whatever. Um, you know, yeah, that's a new change. one on me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Starbucks doesn't surprise me a bit, but yeah, you know, they, in fact, the Democrat party ought to have a bumper sticker that says powered by Starbucks. But, <laughs> but Snapple, I was not aware of. Sorry. I don't yeah. need to get no, nah, no worries. <laughs> um, little throwback to my radio days. I spent six years working in Trestle Radio for a radio show called The Stan and Haney Show, and they started here on the same radio station back in the late 90s. And after 9-11 and troops started getting deployed, maybe you remember this. I don't know if it affected your unit at all. Maybe it did. But all these news stories start coming out talking about how, you know, we didn't have enough camel packs for the guys and didn't have enough equipment and this and that and the other thing. And so they started back at 9-11, right shortly after we got involved, and it is still running today. And they promote it every year. It's the Stan and Haney Draft Fund. It stands for Direct Relief Assistance to Florida Troops. And what they do is they take in collections all year long. And then like three or four times a year, they would cut a check to a serving um, military person from the state of Florida. And how they would vet this is um, one of the gentlemen who worked for the bank was also a listener, was also active duty Navy Reserve. And so he had a government-issued email address. And so when family members say, hey, my son or my daughter's serving, yada, 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 he would get their email address. He would email them through his Navy email address, and he would verify that they're active, this and that. And we would get together three times a year, and they still do this to this day, and they'll hand out two to three checks directly to the, whether it's to the service personnel or their spouse, and they can spend it on whatever they need to, whether it's rent, you know, baby stuff. And they started doing this back when, guys started going overseas and we found out that some of the equipment just wasn't available. And so that's how it started. And all these years later, they're still doing it, which is very cool. Yeah. And you know, that was, a, that was a big deal. Uh, when, when I was over there, the equipment for national guard units, especially I remember, Oh, uh, it, it was just terrible. Um, it, it, it was, there was times where, you know, if we're out and about, and we'd stop at a different chow hall or something midday 
uh, it, we felt guilty walking in there because, you know, we, we were dressed for success and these guys are, you know, they don't have any of the armor plates. They're using, you know, Humvees with canvas doors. They're just sandbagging the floors just to kind of help pad against, you know, a, a, an IED. And we've got up armor and air conditioning. Wow. And I, I had every fancy weapon system and night sight, day sight, you name it. Um, and I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't really know. I was pretty naive to, uh, I didn't understand, even though it's called the National Guard, it's state funded mm -hmm. every it's it's state and there were two national guard units attached to my brigade uh one was from washington state and one was from arkansas and um man let me tell you those guys uh they got blooded pretty quick over there and uh you know you just hated to see it because these guys are just getting wasted and uh in some cases had they had the same equipment that i did they made it walked away from it. So that's, that's a really cool organization. That, that sounds really awesome because yeah, that's, that's real deal stuff. I mean, every, everybody doesn't go over there looking like freaking halo. Yeah. Know? Like, yeah, so I was just, I was very, very, very fortunate. Another weird question, but you're the only one I know who can answer this. Obviously, you do all the training over here, but there's no real way to train for an environment that you're going into unless you're at that environment. How does one deal with and acclimate to that such oppressive heat and just being over there in that environment? I mean, we learn a lot from reading books like Helmet for My Pillow and with the old breed about, you know, the war with the enemy is one thing, but the war with the environment's another. And that particular war had its own environment. and It was a hot, sandy one. How does one how do you get used to that? No real choice, huh? I don't know that you do. Yeah. Um, you just come home and you don't complain about the weather ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that reminds me. I of saw uh, we hit 147 on the Mercury one day. Um, I, I don't even know how to put that in perspective here in America, but basically 50 degrees hotter than a typical day in the summer. And it, it was so hot that I remember a certain mission that uh, I, I was getting a couple, you know, catching some disease, sleeping on top of my truck uh, through the night. And I was shivering because it was down at a hundred. It's a big temperature difference. Yeah. But yeah, you don't No, There's no, I don't think there's any training. Just drink a ton of freaking water, <laughs> water, water, water. You know, one of the things you said is you don't complain about the weather when you get home. That reminds me of a meme I saw about eight, nine years ago. It was of a Vietnam vet in his older age, and he's out mowing the grass, and he's drinking from the water hose, and the kids are looking at him like, oh, he's drinking from the hose. And down at the bottom, it shows him in Vietnam filling his canteen out of the river with some pellets. Like, mm. And, you know, <laughs> after drinking yeah. river water in Saigon, I'll drink out of the dirtiest hose around, you know. It's the same thing you say. You just don't come home complaining about the weather because, you know, you know for sure it can be a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. And I guess that's just – that's a common thing that, that all of us over there, um, we just – that's all we kept telling each other. When you had a bad day, man, hey, it could be worse. It could be worse. And then it got worse and you're like, well, it, it could be even worse than that. You know, it just, it, it, it could always be worse. And if you kept that mindset and you knew that you woke up and you were still breathing, it's a good day. You know? And I think uh, this would be a good time maybe to get into the uh, segment of the show we call uh, what you're reading. So uh, Henry, what you reading? And I'm, I'm trying to uh, get, well, I'm within 100 pages of finishing up Guadalcanal, Richard Frank's Guadalcanal. So, you know, as you guys know, that's a long one. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's a great book. I don't need to imply otherwise, but I've been, I've been trying to hammer down and, and get that one done. Well, you're kind of doing that as a refresher course for an event you have coming up. So it's not like it's leisure reading. You're pretty much cramming that thing right now. Yeah, I guess. But, but I need to read the printed you know the printed version of Devil Dogs or <laughs> that really. So, Jeff, what you reading, fella? Yeah, uh, this is a great one. Um, last time we met, I was, I think I was reading uh, Carlson's Raiders, 
and I just kind of got hung up. I'm back in the Pacific now. Um, and I, it's one of those books that just found me. I've had it for years and just wanted to keep reading about the Guadalcanal. So this one's titled Bloody Ridge and Beyond, a World War II Marines memoir of Edson's Raiders in the Pacific by Marlon Whitey Groft and, and also with uh, Larry Alexander helped him write it. Um, what an incredible story. Uh, I've read some stuff on Edson's Raiders. I, I prefer to read about Merritt Edson more than Evans Carlson all day long. Look at that, Don. You told me to get it. I got it. I haven't read it yet, but, (laughs) you know, I do listen to our suggestions. And you sent us a message on on the phone and said, hey, no lie, this is a very interesting book. You guys got to check it out. And I'll hold it up again. Let me see the name of it. I'm going to write it down on my book here. Bloody Ridge Ridge and Beyond. Yeah. Um, Well put together, well written, um, great. I mean, just a great story. The guy's just, uh, the guy was in it all up there on Bloody Ridge. And I I think I remember uh, at the beginning, he actually wanted to call it uh, uh, Under the Southern Cross and Beyond or something like that. And I love that title better. Yeah. Um, but I think most people aren't going to know what the heck that means. No. Um, you know, and if you don't know about the Southern Cross, it's a constellation in the Southern Hemisphere, obviously. And that's of what uh, was kind of reproduced on the Marine Raider uh, patch. If you guys didn't know, you yep. know, some of you do, most of you probably do. That's what those stars represent was the Southern cross. But um, this kind of really nails it down. You know, this guy starts out on Guadalcanal. Um, I'm not sure where he goes from there. Cause I'm only about halfway through, but um, yeah, it's a great read. When was it written Jeff or when did it get published? Uh, I want to say right about 20 years ago. Uh, so, I mean, I call that fairly new. Let's see. Uh, oh, I'm way off. 2014. Eight years. I knew it was a fairly new publication. I was gonna yeah. say, in the realm of World War II doc, uh, books, that's pretty new. <laughs> yeah, pretty new. Uh, and, and, and speaking of, of new, uh, well, there, there, there's a, there's a TV series I'd like to shed a little bit of light on, but we'll, We'll go after our what you're reading segment. Sure, just uh, remind me. I am finishing up a helmet, a helmet for my pillow, and I, I want to say this. Um, I had a thought occur to me, and, and I had read that book a few times um, a while back. It's probably my fifth time reading it. But um, one of the things I want to suggest, regardless of what the book is, a lot of us, when we got into this hobby, we, we started off on a book or two, whether it's a biography or fiction, what have you. What I would suggest now that if you're the type of person like Jeff Henry or myself and you have read many and many books and gotten um, knowledgeable on many of situations, I suggest you go back and read one or two of those books that you read when you first got into history for whatever reason. Because what I've discovered, especially like reading back through Helmet for My Pillow, um, we did the uh, special episode on the uh, that failed raid. Uh, was it Diep? Diep? I always mispronounce it. Diep. Yeah. Diep. Didn't know much about that until we did an episode on it. Reading through Helmet for My Pillow. Talking about uh, what, Lieutenant Commando or Major Commando, the one the the guy who's from the from oh, over, from Canada. Yeah. Turns out he was there attached to the Marine Corps because he was part of that failed raid. He experienced some things. Yeah. Now, when I read the book before. That battle meant absolutely nothing to me. And so as your knowledge base gets larger, go back and read some of your quote-unquote favorite books from when you first got into this because when they start talking about other battles that coincide, it'll mean a lot more to you because now you know about those where you may have not known about yeah. those first time you read it through. But after I get done reading that book, I'm going to go back to get updated. Uh, my This is one of the first World War II books I bought. This is Brothers in Battle, Best of Friends. It's the um, story between Wild Bill Garnier and Edward Bade Heffron. And the reason I'm getting into this is I've been in communication. We're trying to get a date punch down. But as of right now, we've got a good chance that uh, Wild Bill Garnier's son and granddaughter are going to come on the show. So I'm going back and reading this, getting updated on this, so that uh, when we interview her, uh, my knowledge on Wild Bill and Babe will be up to date and refreshed. And so... That's the next book I'm going to be reading into, and uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, my, like I said, I've been in communique. We're just trying to hammer down a date that 
suits everybody involved. Oh, that's awesome. Great work. But let's now you're talking about a movie and or a streaming series. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Oh man. All right. So uh World War Two, but not necessarily military related. Um my uh my wife and, and my kids are big fans of the old film, A League of Their Own. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead, I know this is going. <laughs> oh man. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Uh there there's a new series on on Amazon Prime by the same title. Just don't. Is it, is it is it safe to say there ain't nothing the same but the name? Uh I don't know. I didn't get that far. Uh, <laughs> I, I, look. <laughs> kind of like me if, with red tails. <laughs> if the idea was to take something that is a really awesome topic and historical and was a great film and it had a great following. I mean, my wife and at least one of my daughters have Rockford Peaches, you know, uniforms for, uh, for Halloween. Right? Sadly, they closed down during the pandemic, but the Southwest Florida military museum and library had an original one uniform on display. It was pretty damn cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and my wife, especially she's really into it. She just bought a, she just found a baseball glove from the 1940s that she popped on. She bought one from the 1920s that's coming in the mail. She's got a, a card signed by one of the peaches. That's one of her favorite players. I Sweet. Mean, she's into it, right? Yeah. So, so she was probably oh gosh, stoked. A new series on Amazon, Brian. Got my name really oh, yeah. over it. And, and I was too. I, I watched the trailer. They've got, you know, beautiful scene of, of a passenger train, you know, that looked period correct. Oh, okay. Let's do this. Didn't finish the first episode. Like I was saying, if what they were trying to do was take something great and amazing and historical and present it to the audiences of 2021 and 2022 in a way that you think what you're watching is modern day, then they nailed it. The vernacular, the music, the style, everything. It's, it's like you're watching a modern film, except there's some old cars in the background. Wow. Like it's just the way they talk. I don't know. We turned it off after probably the eighth F bomb from the girls. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I think actually what did us in was when two of them started making out, we were like, oh, yeah, sorry. yeah, there you go. All right, man. Like, there, you go. there you go. The gym teacher was transgender, you know, the woke, you know, the woke right. remake of a legal around. Maybe, maybe that's all true. Maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> I just, no, I just had a crazy thought. I was in high school. You're probably in middle school, so we don't know. I wonder if diehard Shakespearean actors had the same uh, same disgust when the remake of Romeo and Juliet came out in the 90s, Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> where instead of swords, they all had 1911s, and they're driving around yeah. doing the William Shakespeare's talk, but everything else was modern-day, like dystopian craziness i'm sure there's yeah, a few diehards back in it it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like that and and if i've offended any of our viewers that's not my intention uh it, it was i guess i was expecting um the the movie but maybe a little bit crisper on history maybe some better cinematography maybe a little bit more theatrical because you have i forget it's eight or nine episodes you, you have more time for character development and, and all the things that you don't get in a full length feature. So I guess maybe my expectations were a little too high. I don't know, but I, I, I was really looking forward to going back in time and seeing this amazing story of what happened in baseball during World War II. And no. So. Now, did your wife ever watch Bomb Girls? I'm not sure. I'm What's sure we can. That? I'm sure we can pick it apart historically. But I watched it. It's definitely written for the women audience. But it was about the women during the um, during the war who basically they worked in all the plants building the bombs up in Canada. And um, it's it's kind of cool because you get kind of the home front view of living in the war. But it's it's a twelve part miniseries and it's kind of you know a TV based show. Um, 
taking place in that time. And it's about the different girls who work in the plants and the different struggles. Like I said, I'm sure historically there's a lot of stuff can be picked apart, but it's, it's a really cool way, especially for young girls to learn the knowledge of what the women at the bomb plants did and seeing the styles of the day and, and kind of the way society kind of held them in a certain aspects. And so it's, it's a well-written show. Like I said, I'm sure historically it could be picked apart, but like if your wife's looking for a fun show that's of the era, learn a bit, little bit about that and see all the styles and that check out bomb girls. It came out a few years ago. I think you probably still find it on Netflix or somewhere, but it's, it's, it's yeah. a good show. I watched every episode. It's one of those things yeah. I watched when I couldn't find anything else on. I would, I'd put that on and it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I don't get too crazy on, on the details of picking stuff apart. If it, if it takes you back in time, you know, and it's an interesting story, dude, I, I'm game. I mean, I, I love the Memphis bell and I yeah. cringe when I see the P 51 peeling off, but only for <laughs> a split second, you know, it's fine. Who cares? But anyway, my last final thought is I just wanted to shout out to my big brother, my big jarhead brother who sent me this amazing t-shirt guys. I don't know if you can tell, but it's it looks like a landing craft. It's exactly a chalk it's, drawing it's a craft with with quarter ton jeeps coming out of it and is it an LCM? It's an organism. It ca- I don't know. It looks like a, is it a chalk drawing though? Yeah, it looks like a guys. You're ki- you're killing me. I don't know. It's a T-shirt. Well, I know, but from where we're at, it kind of looks like a, almost like the intro of the Pacific, where they did all the chalk drawing. It's it. That's what it oh, looks yeah. like over the camera. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it it is. It's kind of like a like a charcoal looking. Yeah, drawing. cool. Yeah, you're right. No, that's you're very right. cool. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's an LSM or an LSD. I'm not. I'm not up on my my landing craft. Um, yeah, but a- yeah, quarter ton Jeep guys coming out of it, and it's um it's an organization out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania that uh, and i know there's organizations like this all over the country but they they take wounded warriors in for like jeep trail rides so they've got the rock crawling jeeps and all these trails nice. you guys are right yeah sure and wheeling wheeling four wheeling to heel or something like that but it was a cool surprise he sent it to me in the mail the other day that's a goes, wicked shirt it was, it was world war ii jeeps and it was veterans and he said man i had to send it to you so I said well i'll wear it on the next episode so yeah it's kind of like what i refer to as a, for those who know type shirt Right. Kind of like the one I'm wearing. But yeah, um, yeah and go. if you want to get the shirt that I'm wearing, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on the merch link, and you can, I still got to make the other one. But we got our K ration shirts and all the other different shirts and the stencil shirts and all that good stuff. And we want to hear from you. Send us an email to mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Whether you want to come on the show and talk about something that we haven't covered in the past, whether you have a suggestion, a ridicule, a comment, photos, what have you. Please send us an email to mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And um, Henry, do you got anything to plug coming down the pike? No, not tonight. What about you, Jeff? No, no, just going to be back with you guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this long-awaited edition of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Once again, we want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support, because if it wasn't for you listening to the show... We wouldn't be here. And the best way to support the show doesn't cost you a dime. Just share us with a friend. Say, hey, check out this podcast. I think you might like it. It's pretty cool. But uh, for myself, Jeff, and Henry, we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. (laughs) 